Let's jump right on in. We are going to Romans chapter 8 tonight. Romans chapter 8. And we are, uh, we are really just going to do the first part of introduction to it. Um, may, may not seem like it when I tell you how many verses I want to cover, but I want to cover verse 1 to verse 11. But, uh, but this, this chapter is a good bit lengthier than any of the ones before it, all right? We got a total of 39 verses in, in chapter 8, and it covers a, a wide variety of, of things that Paul teaches and says, though at the same time, they all have a, um, a, a, sim, a similar uh, backing, you might say, a similar foundation of focus and so they're all within a, a category of understanding and, and direction that Paul talks about, but he, he hits so many different points. He spread, he, basically, uh, Romans chapter 8, to a degree, is, is kind of like a scattergun when it, when it comes to what he deals with. Uh, one, one major bullet, but yet it, once it's fired, it, just, it hits a whole bunch of stuff. And, uh, and so let's, uh, as we, we're here at Romans chapter 8, let me give you what I perceive myself as far as in reading it and seeing it. The best way I would describe the main theme and, uh, and some key verses. Again, there, there are so many verses in here. Uh, Romans 8.28 is one uh, that is very familiar uh, to many people. There's several verses surrounding that that are less familiar, but still um, the verses surrounding Romans 8.28 give greater clarity to Romans 8.28. But uh, it, as a whole, when you're looking at the entire chapter, you really, through the first part of chapter 8, will get a, a clear understanding of what the main focus is, and, and that is this. The main theme as a whole, I believe, in chapter 8 of Romans is the security of Christ in us through the Spirit, all right? The security of Christ in us. Through the Spirit. Uh, Paul in chapter 7, um, in verse number 24, uh, just one verse before the end of the, uh, of the entire chapter in the divisions of chapters. Um, but at, he had just, um, well, let's just put it this way he had two verses before going in, into this section we're looking at. Uh, just two verses earlier had said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Which, as we talked about, uh, last week, uh, Paul was giving, I believe, uh, his personal testimony of what it was like to come to a knowledge of his, his sinfulness, what it was like to come to an understanding of the, the fact that the, the law is just not words, but when the law finally set in and he understood what it meant, it taught him how wicked he was, uh, then he felt undone. Then he, he no matter what, he he, he, he realized the things that he would do, he didn't do. The things that he would rather not do, those are the things that he would naturally do. And, and he back and forth in a battle and constantly dealing with a struggle. And, and he said numerous times that it, it was uh, uh, unto death for him. And it, it was, it, as we said before, it was killing him. The fact that he knew how bad he was and everything he did just reminded him the law is actually right. <laughs> Look, did it again? Law's right. Did it again? Law's right. You know, and, and he's just proven over and over again how awful he was. And, and, and those things which didn't bother him before now bother him every single time he thinks about it. 
And, and it, just, it just wears at him and wears at him. And talking about how, as a, as a whole, the conviction that was setting in, that was drawing him to a, a final uh, exclamation and, and, and proclamation of his life and saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And so speaking of, of the, the, the low estate in which he reached when understanding who he was. And, uh, and, and then speaking as one who's already found the answer, he talks about in verse number 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what, what is that? Well, I, just, I, I thank God that it's through Jesus Christ our Lord, that the answer is through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now, why did I review all that? Because when you go into uh, chapter 8, verse number 1, you have a there is therefore. And my, as my dad always said, when, when there's a therefore, you need to find out what the therefore is there for. And uh, so what's it talking about? What, what is therefore? Therefore is referring back to something that has already been said, something that's already been presented, which now presents a therefore. And now in conclusion, or now because of that, and, and so in verse number 1 of chapter 8, you're automatically continuing on from his final wrap-up of chapter 7 in saying that he had reached a point of under conviction of how in the world am I going to be uh, delivered from, from this body of death, from th this dying sinful man that I am? How am I going to be delivered from it? And he's, but I, th I thank God through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, and so it, it is. It is through Jesus that deliverance comes, and so He goes into now, not speaking as looking back to when He was a lost man under conviction. Now, looking at a, as a saved man, looking at the deliverance that's been given, He begins to reassure those in Rome of what it means to be saved, of what it means to be forgiven. And also what, what comes with it as a responsibility. And, and so the, the main theme of chapter 8 becomes the security of Christ in us through the Spirit. And, and, and you find that uh, it is the Spirit of God that's mentioned constantly over and over and over again. And it's being in Christ and it's by Christ and through Christ that's mentioned over and over again as well in different forms. I believe the key verses that you could pull out to understand what really chapter 8 brings into a complete, uh, as a whole understanding, there's multiple things we're going to look at, but a complete understanding of the basics of what chapter 8 really brings us to, you see in verse number 15 and verse number 16. Now, we're not going to investigate those verses tonight uh, any deeper than just to read it here but verse number 15 and verse number 16 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That bondage is bondage unto sin. You've not received the, 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 uh, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He's presenting the access to the throne that we have. 
presenting the access to a loving heavenly father that has redeemed us. So he's not speaking as just a general individual, just a human being that uh, does not know God personally. He's speaking now as one who understands what it is to be redeemed, to be forgiven, to be in Christ and the spirit of God in him. And so he's saying, because of that, I, I, am, I am not uh, going back and re- receiving again the spirit of, of bondage again to fear. Uh, I've been, I have received that spirit of adoption. I have a heavenly father. And he goes on in verse number 16. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now that is one of the, um, the, the great verses of assurance Uh, For the child of God, and that is, if you are, through receiving Christ as your Savior, if you are in Christ, then the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God is in you, and that Spirit bears witness that we are a child of God. Uh, And and so, you say, well, why would it need to bear witness? Well, you're going to find out uh, in just a minute as we begin to look at the first part of chapter 8, all right? So uh, look with me at, at, at verse 1, and uh, we're going to try to get down quickly to verse number 11 tonight. And, uh, and, and these, these verses here, verse 1 to verse 11, um, really as a whole, you could put a, a, a category on it if you're subdividing this chapter up. Um, you would kind of put a category, you could put one, uh, uh, life in the spirit. What is life, life lived in the spirit, uh, being the spirit of God. So verse number one down to verse number four presents to us the truth of no condemnation. Okay? And so uh, let, let's read this and let's look at this and we'll make some application to it. It says there is... Therefore, there's your therefore, going back to what he was, finding deliverance in Christ. Now he's, he's dealing with being in Christ. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life, uh, uh, for, for the law of the spirit of, of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, dealing with the the law of Moses, what the old old, uh, Jewish law, what it could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, uh, the, the law itself is righteous, but fulfilling the law was not possible. Why? Because of the flesh. Uh, it presented the weakness of the flesh. There was no overcoming. It was failure. And so the law could not give us a solution to our weakness. It just showed us the problem and the weakness. So in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He didn't say as sinful flesh. He said in the likeness of, big difference. If he was sent as sinful flesh, he'd be just as sinful as you and I. He was sent in the likeness of, meaning he was perfect God, not sinful, but yet robed in the same flesh and able to bear the same pains and the same issues that we face because of sin, but yet he had none. He was robed in the flesh. By the way, uh, it would have been impossible for uh, Christ to die 
had he not been robed in mortal flesh that could die. So he was um, eternal God, robed within a failing shell, if you want to put it that way. Not failing because of sin, but failing to the fact that it was just as our flesh is and the fact that it will one day die. It will one day not be able to, to, to keep going. Uh, it will always end in death. But that is this mortal flesh. But he was in the likeness of, uh, moving, let me get back down, um, in the likeness of sinful flesh, but not sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Now here's, here's what's interesting. Um, you pay attention to words. He condemned sin in the flesh, meaning that the curse of sin is contained within the flesh of this life. Now, we will spend eternity based on how we dealt with Christ in this life. But the condemnation of sin on this earth, in that sense, as a whole, sin was contained within this flesh. When this body, when I die... There is, now, if I do not have Christ as my Savior, I will die, and I will spend eternity facing the consequence of sin, but I no longer deal with sin. Or I may die, and I am in the presence of God because I received Christ as my Savior. I have been redeemed. I have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and therefore, I am not facing the consequences of sin any longer. My sin has been remitted. It has been removed but if when I die, whether I die, die and face the consequences of sin or I die and I live apart from and holy and um, uh, consecrated, made righteous in, in, through the blood of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God on my account, regardless, when I die, I will no longer battle sin. Because sin has uh, through Christ uh, alone, through all that he did. And it says here that um, he was made in that likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And so it is condemned in this flesh. Uh, sin as a whole is contained within this life when it comes to the battle that we have with it. When I am free from this mortal flesh, I will be free one way or the other. I will be free from battling with sin. That will be over. The uh, verse number four says the, the, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Now let me, uh, in those first four verses, let me just kind of break a couple of things down for you. Um, understand that eternal condemnation is settled in Christ. But then also with that, you can also say that temporal guilt is removed through daily obedience. Now, I'm going back here to verse number one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It does continue with who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, if you're not careful, you can say, oh, you see, 
now, now that there's proof that, uh, that you are saved by Christ, but you keep your salvation by works. Now, that, that's, that's where people go with that. Um, to do that, though, uh, you would have to ignore, and I should have written down the verse, and um, I did not write it down. It's, um, um, man, I really, I I did not write, I should have done it. Um, uh, I'm not, I'm not, it's in, in chapter eight itself. It, um, what's that? No, it's not verse number four. Uh, It's further down. Um, mm -mm -mm. Oh, verse nine. Verse nine. That's it. Uh, I I saw it as soon as you went to say it. Verse number nine. um, To to say that, well, you see, to them that are in Christ, but then now you got to walk walk not to the flesh, but you have to walk after the Spirit. Verse number nine says, "But ye are not in the flesh." But in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, what that's saying is, if you receive Christ your Savior, the, save, the, the, the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of God, dwells in you. And it's, an, it's an automatic thing. So if you've received Christ as your Savior, and you've been forgiven of your sins, the Spirit of God dwells with you. It's not a question of, well, oh. Question is, do you walk with the Spirit or have you removed the Spirit? If you, if, you, you've not, if you don't walk in the Spirit and you walk in the flesh and the Spirit of God is gone from you, he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so you have to ignore uh, massive numbers of Scripture in order to say that I now have to walk after the Spirit on a regular basis so as not to lose the Spirit and, and be left only with the flesh. Okay. What it is teaching, though, so I'm saying is be careful with that. The Bible says if you you are in Christ, you have the Spirit, okay? But the question really comes down to are we walking after the flesh or walking after the Spirit? Now, you might, as you read through Romans 8, you can come to an early conclusion that, uh, that Paul says if you walk carnally if you follow those things which are carnal then you are after the flesh you have not the spirit of god so therefore evidently you're not saved you can you can almost come to that conclusion but then if you continue reading through the chapter uh he he begins to clarify more of what he's what he's talking about and and you begin to realize that uh, that paul as a whole is is saying that may i say there are some who claim to walk after the Spirit and claim to walk and know Christ as their Savior, but they're still doing everything in the flesh because they have not Christ as their Savior and they have not the Spirit of God in their life. And then there are some that I believe are, I I believe 100% that it is possible for the child of God who is uh, a born again child of God, saved, knows that Christ is their Savior and has the Spirit with them I do believe that this grieves the Spirit of God in their life, but, uh, but I have seen and I have witnessed, and sometimes in my life I have been the, the individual uh, in my younger, younger years, um, where you can walk after the flesh. Not that you should. Not that a child of God should ever desire that, or a true child of God could ever stay that way. But 
the idea of being carnal is not that far removed from us. I mean, just let somebody cut you off on the highway and see if carnality creeps up real fast. You know, uh, go, go shopping for that. We're getting close to Christmas. Go shopping for that last, that, 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 that final Christmas gift for your grandchild. And you go shopping and you see it on the shelf and you go to grab it. It's the last one. There's not one anywhere else. You've been shopping everywhere. You found that one. It's like, oh, yes. You go to grab it. Somebody grabs it first. And you say, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I was coming for that. And they say, oh, no, I got it first. See if carnality doesn't want to creep up. Right? Let somebody say something that hurts our little feelings. And see if carnality doesn't want to creep up. Uh, We live in this flesh. And this flesh is pulled, as as one preacher put it, and I, I agree. This flesh is affected by the great weight of the gravity of sin. It's constantly, as we are trying to to ascend to to higher heights of serving the Lord, that that weight of this sinful flesh is trying to bear down on us while we're trying to to rise up and be what we ought to be. And, And no matter how hard that we are trying and working to let the Spirit of God work in our hearts and work in our lives and let God have free will in, in, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, and, and truly want to seek and follow him and say, Lord, you show me, I'll do it. You show me, I'll do it. Lord, I want what you want, not what I want. It's real easy to say. Um, the hardest thing is find the most inopportune time to feel that way and try to say it. Find the most opposite time of what this flesh would desire and, and, and try to make that the main focus. Now, it's not always impossible to make, to make that an easy thing to do. There are times when if you have your heart and mind focused in the right place, it is the first thing that comes to mind is, Lord, I want your will. But... Be focused on the pressures of life and be focused on the stresses of work and be focused on the issues of home and be focused on the, the, the financial pressures of things going on and then let something else snap. And see if the first thing we do is, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever it is, I'm okay with it. Let the heftiest pressures weigh massively on this flesh and you're tired, you're wore out, you're mentally strained, you're over, you're, you're, you know, you've been in the oven and you're, and you're past baked. And then let the heat get turned up and see if this flesh doesn't react. It is natural for a human being, for God's creation in this flesh, to have to fight the flesh. If the flesh wasn't a problem for the child of God, we wouldn't have to fight it. So as Paul is looking here, and I'm not, I'm not getting very far in these verses. But he says there is now, there's therefore, because I'm a child of God, because of that reason, there is, 
therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. May I say, that is the first and foremost stipulation. It is not based off of the latter half only, the first and foremost. Otherwise, it would say, it would just simply say, now is there, I'm sorry, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Well, if that was the focus, then that's what would be said. But what, what was said? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Salvation. Then also, it does couple with it that you cannot ignore the, the, the finishing of that verse, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Why is that in there? Because Paul is reuniting with the understanding, hey, you are a child of God. There is no condemnation in the eyes of a holy God. There is no eternal condemnation now hanging over. Just remember where he just came out of. He just came out of speaking about how he had reached a point of, oh, how am I ever going to be delivered? I'm condemned. His testimony of conviction leading him to understanding that there was no hope in and of himself. And then saying, but I found hope in Christ. There is now therefore no condemnation. I, I, I don't, I'm free from that, that feeling of eternal condemnation. But then he, he does tack on with it and equate with it that there is a need because of what Christ has done. There is an automatic expectation that we walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. Why is that? Because though I may not be condemned in eternity... If I've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, my condemnation has been wiped away. My sins have been remitted. And it's all been done through the blood of Jesus Christ. But what about the nasty now and now? What about the guilt and condemnation I feel in my personal life when I know that I'm not pleasing my heavenly father. What, what about uh, the, that guilt of knowing to do good and yet doing it not and trying to convince myself it's going to be okay. God, God forgives me. I'm just going to move on. Listen, if you're a true child of God, when you walk after the flesh and you act after the flesh and we do that which the, pleases the flesh, it should grieve the Spirit of God within us and a child of God cannot live walking after the flesh and be happy and feel no guilt and feel no conviction. And may I say, feel no condemnation on their actions. Does my eternity come into question again? No. I don't get removed from what Christ has forgiven and taken care of. But in this life, it'd be so much better to live walking after the Spirit instead of after the flesh so that there would be no more condemnation even here and here. One of the biggest graveyards for most human beings is up here. 
especially for the child of God. Where do you think Satan loves to play? He doesn't play as much with the heart. He plays with the head. He lets the head affect the heart. Satan plays mind games with us. Why? Because he loves to hang condemnation over the child of God so that we will basically just give up and say, it's just no use. I'm never going to be able to please God. No, the problem is I can't please God in this flesh. That's the problem. So how do I please him? I please him through the spirit. We find that out uh, here in a moment. Let me, um, mm. all right. So eternal condemnation is settled by in Christ. We are in Christ. That is the key element. But temporal guilt, the daily grind of life, you might say, is removed through daily obedience. As I follow him, I have peace. As I listen to the Spirit of God, I have peace. As I obey the commands of God, I have peace. As I accomplish those things which he gave me to accomplish, and I'm I'm following his word, I have peace. As I live through the leading of the Spirit, I have peace. It's only as I live opposite of what I am that I fail to have peace. I'm a child of God. My peace gets destroyed when I'm not living like a child of God. And so therefore, by the way, the condemnation becomes a personal element. Satan loves to condemn in our minds. And once he gets us going, we just keep condemning ourselves. And that there, then depression, depression sets in and the inability to change anything and uh, it's just useless and hopeless, and why try? Might as well just go ahead and end this life because I'll never be free of my failures. How, how many, I wonder, how many individuals who trusted Christ as their personal Savior and yet allowed themselves to live according to the flesh more than according to the Spirit got so depressed over the guilt that they tried to bear constantly that they eventually said it's just not worth it anymore. And they selfishly end their lives instead of just getting right with God. It's a very real thing. Satan will condemn constantly if we walk after the flesh. We are not of the flesh any longer. If you're a child of God, you are of the spirit. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Why would I want to go back and be bound to it again? I'm moving on, verse number five through eight, very quickly, very quickly. I'm gonna try to get this done. Um, This deals with carnally minded versus spiritually minded. And this is where Paul does dif- differentiate and he, he, does, he does sever between those that are of the flesh only and those that are of the spirit. Um, but may I say, he's not, he's not only dealing with the fact that, hey, well, if you live according to the flesh, then you're not saved. Well, if you're going to go to that far extent of it, then what you're saying is if you don't live a sinless life, then you're not saved. And people have built doctrines on this one little section, nothing else to go with it, but this one little section saying, see, if, you're, if you live after the flesh, you're not saved. But if you live after the spirit, which means you cannot sin. So therefore, only being sinless in this life proves that you're a child of God. <laughs> no, 
no, garbage. Carnally minded versus spiritually minded. Verse number five, it says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, listen, what he's saying is the world minds the world. Those, those that are Christ should mind the things of Christ. He's laying out what should be. This is an automatic. You're a child of God. You should mind the things of God. He goes on in verse number six, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, by the way, some people even, even built the idea that salvation is a mindset. They built the doctrine around that salvation is a mindset. It's about having, if you will have, and that, that's the new age movement, positivity. If you can have a Christ-like positivity mindset, salvation is in your grasp. So you think yourself saved. It's right here, see, spiritually minded. So you be spiritually minded and you will think yourself to salvation. They teach that, by the way. That is a, a gross misuse of Scripture. But he's saying here, to be carnally minded is death. Well, that's, that's just factual. Live after the flesh and see how, see how well it, it helps your life. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Live according to what the Lord says and see how it goes. It, it follows this process uh, verse number seven, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. In other words, to live carnally or live according to this flesh and making this flesh matter more than anything else, to live that way is to be the enemy of God. Yikes. So in other words, when I make my life all about me and I make my life all about my family, I make my life all about my job, I make my life about all the things and God gets leftovers, we are actually, in, in, according to the word of God, even if you are a child of God, you're acting more like an enemy. When, when I'll rob God, I'm his child I just take everything he has for myself and don't give anything back. It's quiet. Think about it. To be carnally minded is to be the enemy, to be at enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In other words, this flesh cannot obey God. Therefore, if I obey this flesh, I cannot be obeying God. I'm giving one or the other the power over the influence of my life. Which one is it, the flesh or the spirit of God? It, but it says in verse number 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. He's once again nailing the problem of the Judaic belief. And it's following the idea that you can work your way, earn your way by following the law of Moses. You can earn your way to favor and pleasing God and therefore earn your righteousness before him. And Paul is saying, wrong. Once again, you cannot because you do it in the flesh, not in the spirit. But if you are a child of God, you should follow the Spirit, not the flesh. What that tells you is that we are to be 
what we claim to be even in our actions. You're a child of God, all right, show it. You're a child of God, all right, live it. Be according to the Spirit of God and not live according to the flesh. Does that mean that we fail to have the potential to live according to the flesh? Absolutely not. You and I have as much potential to live according to the flesh as any other person around us. We live in the flesh. It is influencing us every single day. The weight of this world weighs heavy on us every single day. And the only way to overcome that which would be natural to us is to do that which would be unnatural to us. And that is to surrender over every moment. To the will of God, to the Spirit of God, to the leading of a holy God. I'm stopping right there. We didn't even finish up with section one, but that's okay. I, I, don't, I don't have time to go into the next one. We're just going to stop. It's a good place. As a whole, I'm glad that we're promised that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. For eternity, my condemnation has been dealt with. When I stand before God, he does not see me condemned. He sees the blood of his son covering my account. My sin has been washed. My sin has been remitted. My sin is gone. It is removed. And there is nothing to even see. When God sees me, he sees a forgiven child of God. But that does not give me the right to say, well, God doesn't see it anyway, so I'm just going to go about doing what I want. Say what? So you'll take God for the blessing of eternity, but you'll take, your, take care of your own life in the now and now. It, it just does, that, doesn't, that doesn't go right. It doesn't do well. Matter of fact, um, it, it sounds okay now. And I, oh, let me just say this and I'll shut up, all right? Here's the problem. Here's the problem. The reason that some people can think, well, that, that's the way it would go, and why some people actually follow that process. I'm a child of God, but since God can't see it, then no matter what I do, it's already been forgiven. I'm a little, I am free to kind of do what I want. As long as I can live with the guilt, it'll be fine. Matter of fact, most people just show up to church every now and then so as to wash off a little bit of the guilt. They feel better about themselves. Then they go back to their old life. Show up, wash up a little bit, feel better, go home. But nothing changes. Child of God, not living like it. Child of God, no evidence of it. Now, they might be a child of God, but may I say the, the only way people can do that the only way any of us could do it is that we claim to understand what it is to fear God. But we are actually more afraid of each other than we are of God. We would be more afraid about people in this room finding out something about our life this past week than we are thinking that God already knows. Right? If we, if we knew that it was about to be broadcast, something that, that, that we had done, we'd be running out the doors, hopping in and trying to run away as fast as possible. No, please don't. No, no. 
Don't let people know about the real me. I, don't, I, I didn't want anybody to know about that. But it, it doesn't phase us at all. We don't even think about the fact that God already knows. Why? Because I, I don't have to stand before him right now. <laughs> i got to stand before you face to face. That's kind of embarrassing. I'm not worried about him. You know, God knows. Yeah, he does. And one day when we stand face to face, I guarantee you, he doesn't have to say a word. One day when we stand face to face, one of the reasons that we're, I believe, going to fall at his feet, we're going to put our head down is because I'm not so sure that most all of us, if not every single one of us, are going to be afraid to look at him in the eyes. We said we feared him, and we lived like we had no fear. I was more afraid of man than I was of God. Is that not convicting? If the child of God would realize that we are to live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, because our Heavenly Father at all times, He is the one trying to guide through His Spirit, but He is aware at all times as to whether or not His child is acting like His child. Kind of a real humbling thought. The world has no other way to judge whether what we have is real other than to see and observe and come to conclusions of judgment from what we are, they are given by our actions. Therefore, we are to live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, not just for our ability to stand before God, but because of those who are watching. And Paul lays it out very clearly all the conviction that brought him to be a child of God, and now he knows there's no condemnation, but he is challenging them. We must live according to the Spirit, because to live any other way is to live as though I am the enemy of God, not his child. What a conflicting testimony that would be. To say, I, I love God, but I live like I hate him. No wonder the world doesn't come to the church saying, what must I do to be saved? Hmm. I'm going to stop right there. Heavenly Father, pray that you'd help us tonight.